The Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to The Paranet Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Lunn and... Rob Davis. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> right. Uh, this week we have a great episode for you guys. We're going to be diving into chapters... 9, 10, 11, and 12 of Grave Peril. Uh, we're also going to be talking about... What are we talking about this week? We're talking about something. Uh, Battleground coming, uh, Jim's yep, updates. So, sorry, I was, I was and... meant to intervene there, but I was drinking a drink. So, but, um, That's One week fine. till Battleground, baby! <laughs> yeah! Uh, so, I think by the time that this comes out, Battleground Battleground will be out the day this comes out. Oh shit, yeah, of course. Nice. Because um, we've been doing a bit more pre-recording. Uh, so, wow. Um, well, I can, I can uh, rest assured if you're listening to this when it comes out, like a true fan, uh, true Paranet fan, um, you guys uh, can know that we are feverishly making our way through Battleground, uh, ready to talk about it as soon as possible. Probably as a bonus episode of this book. Um, so, uh, the other thing that we were, that we're talking about this week is uh, creatures that are in mythology or uh, even in the natural world that haven't appeared in Dresden Files that we would love to see in the world of Dresden Files. So I think we'll kick off with that one. Um, now I've got a few ideas for this. Do you have anything, Rob? Um, I've got a few ideas as well, but nothing... I know, no, 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 I think all my ideas work better as like a short story idea as opposed to something that would be like the driving element of a novel. Okay, cool. Uh, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah. Number one, my mother-in-law. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, like, ever since we decided that we'd be doing that as a topic here, I was like, uh, that'd be funny to put in. But I will also retract that because she's a lovely woman. But in all seriousness, I think one creature I would I would love to see on Dresden Files, or at least some kind of spin on it. And this plays very much into the um, White Council being based in Scotland. But I would love for the Loch Ness Monster to appear. <laughs> awesome. I Yes. I, I can 100% see some sort of thing between the White Council and Loch Ness Monster. Um what do you envision it as like is its own thing or as a dragon or something else? I don't know because I mean I don't know much about the whole Loch Ness monster thing anyway, but um, I'd kind of like it to be hmm, maybe something that's linked to the White Council, like some kind of weird ass creature from the Never Never. That's and a kind kind of like an emissary of the Fae. But it's like their contact with the White Council. Yeah, I could almost see like something big seeking like, um, like a like a refugee of a part of yeah. the the Never Never, um, or like a, seeking like political asylum or something. Yeah, I'd like that, uh, or even just something similar to Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Kind of like it's just its I, own I wanted thing. to have the broadest Scottish accent. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, superb. Okay. Uh, any others, or is that your your kind of top one? Um, that's my top one. Um, I don't know because my mind when I was thinking about it, my mind initially jumped to werewolves again. And that's just because okay. of what we were saying the other week about um, how we haven't had any other books that feature any of the other types of werewolves outside of um, uh, the alphas. But mm-hmm. no, I, I definitely say Loch Ness Monster is probably my top pick. 
Um, other than that, I'm not too sure at the moment. I'll have to. I'll get back to you. Uh, what do you have any ideas? Did you come in prepared or? So I've got I've got a few. Um, I've got one. So one that I'd really like to see the Knights of the Cross deal with specifically yeah. is a Hydra. Ooh. Um, I'd love like Butters and Sonya taking on a Hydra in the in like northern Russia or something, and do the whole like regrowing heads kind of thing. Yeah. But maybe give it like an yeah. intelligence. Um. So that that was that was kind of one of my one of my first ones, uh, and I, I'm I'm really quite keen on that. Um, another one is uh, the Baba Yaga or or Hag in general. Yeah. Um, just like a crazy fae spirit. We kind of saw it with the uh, with Mother, no, Grandmother Winter and Grandmother Summer were kind yeah. of down that path. Um, but I, I'd love to see more with that. Uh, it would be really cool. And then my last one, um, <laughs> and I, I guess this, again, would probably have to be a, a side story or something, but if uh, if some like face spirits or something got like inspired by like the world of like D and D and stuff, I'd love to see Dresden take on a Beholder. That'd be pretty cool. Um, just because I think there'd be some really really good banter between Dresden and like this one-eyed Beholder, <laughs> uh, or many-eyed Beholder, depending on how you see it. Um. That I think would be really, really awesome, and all like the different like rays and stuff, and like Dresden having to deal with like each one with like different counter spells and stuff would be really fun, and the anti magic cone from its eye that nullifies yeah. all magic. That would be that could, cool. yeah, that that would really mess Dresden up. And you have to work a, out like some way around it. I think another thing that I'd like to see would be, I mean, we've we've had like. A bit of the whole religious touch with angels and stuff like that, Knights of the Cross. And there's mention of um, uh, Butters being Jewish. So I think yeah. with, with that in mind, I wouldn't mind, like, I'd like to see, like, one of the uh, clay golems and how they're, I know, just, just like to see them integrated into Dresden, even if it was like a one-off, it's passing around in the background kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. That'd be really cool. Um, yeah, I, I think... There's a lot of opportunities with like faith-based stuff. Definitely. Uh, uh, Jim's really only hit the the Catholic uh, stuff. Yeah. And it'd be really interesting to see some other stuff like like you say like Jewish. Um, it'd be really cool to see some some Muslim stuff. I, I um, I'm not really up on the religion side of it, but uh, it'd be great just for inclusivity more than anything. Absolutely. I mean, there's. There's so much, like, there's more stuff to do with, like, Greek myths and shit, like, um, Medusa and stuff like that would be really cool as well, like, as a main villain. Yeah, uh, and Medusa would be awesome, and Harpies as Ooh, well. Yes. Um, yeah, I'd enjoy that. It'd be cool if it was revealed that Sirens were, like, a, a division of the White Court. That'd be pretty cool. I'd enjoy that. Like, like they were like what the White Court were hundreds of years ago or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's a lot out there that uh, there's there's loads of ground. Also, there has never been orcs in D and D, not in D and D, in Dresden <laughs> Files. <laughs> there has kind been orcs of, in D and D for a long time. Kind of spinning off of that, have yeah. we ever had zombies in Dresden Files? There's like the necromancers that do like the oh shit yeah like um oh, what's his face binder yeah yeah of course Binder's don't know how got like uh his are like suits aren't they they're like I I always see them as like Slenderman yeah same um was... oh god uh cowl cowl's the necromancer yeah that was it yeah hmm. um. Yeah, I think there's there's loads of interesting stuff. I'd also like to see if vampires biting magical beings did anything, like if there's a vampire fairy. That would be a pretty cool twist. Yeah. Um that would just be I don't know, that would just be interesting. Like 
if you wanted to do like a toot toot story, yeah, have like one of his like soldiers getting a bit by a vampire, something like that. I'd be up for that. Um, I, I definitely think that would be fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, there is so much that can be done. Um, whew. <laughs> one, one other one, uh, going down the religious theme that would entertain me, but I can see why it would be extremely problematic for Jim to even attempt. Yeah. I would love a, a, just like a mention that like Jesus was an incredibly powerful wizard. <laughs> I feel that would be very controversial, but that would be really, I know, I, I find that quite funny at the same time. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, the, the walking on water thing, wizards have been doing that for years. <laughs> I Yeah, I feel that would break break a bit of the Knights of the Cross stuff, but I think, I know you'd get a lot of weird-ass burning book people probably boycott the release. Yeah. Yeah, probably. So we'll write it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you've got to buy it to burn it, so if yeah. anything. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, burning Dresden Files books is is what we'll end that on. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, our other updates, um, if you guys haven't got your hands on Battlegrounds yet um, and are kind of holding out, uh, maybe you're not up to there in the series or maybe you're just uh, a long-time fan of the early books but you haven't really caught up for a long time, um, you can go and uh, get a sample of that Battleground action. Uh, Jim has released uh, the first three chapters uh, as a preview. Uh, neither me or Rob have read it at this point because we are saving ourselves for the big chunky book uh, as it's only uh, a week away. Um, but uh, if you want to, to dive on that or dive in that, um, definitely worth it. Um, there's also a couple of other bits uh, that Jim's put out uh, around Battlegrounds and around his book tour. <clears throat> we talked about a lot of this um, in the last couple of episodes as well, uh, but just worth having a look. Uh, you can get a Dresden Files uh, shield charm bracelet based on Harry's own shield charm bracelet um, in a giveaway uh, that Badali are doing, uh, which is like a jewellery company. Um, there's a bunch of other really, really cool stuff uh, worth looking into. Um, if you're a big Dresden fan like me and uh, Rob, dive in, uh, have at. All the links will be in the description, as always. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Okay, so moving swiftly on from power networking, uh, let's get into the meat of today's episode uh, with Dresden Files Book Club, uh, where we will be covering chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12. Um, I feel like we don't really say this enough, but we do put a link uh, in each of our episodes so that you guys can uh, go to Amazon and buy your own copy. Um, seriously encourage you guys to do that. Just uh, follow along with us. Um, like we're always going to give uh, an overview of what happens and occasionally we even give like quotes and stuff uh, but it's no it won't it does not beat the true experience of reading Jim's uh, amazing writing uh, so uh, pick up that book and uh, and uh, give it a good give it a good read um, uh, and yeah links in the description cool um, so last time on the Dresden Files. Do, 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 do. Um, we saw Harry and Michael enter the Never Never and face off with the nefarious Angela Hagglethorne. Uh, it was a close battle and uh, hellhounds closed in on them while they were fighting. Michael uh, saved Harry at the last minute from Angela's uh, necrotic grasp and killed the, uh, the ghost uh, only to turn and see Harry's auntie and godmother, Leah the Lanonchi. Uh, we then saw uh, Harry kind of trick Leah into um, allowing him to get close to her and then covering her in ghost dust, which contained iron. 
something that is incredibly toxic to Faye. Uh, Michael and Harry jumped out of the Nevernella uh, only to be arrested. Uh, Michael said he'd do the talking, um, and it kind of left it on a hopeful end to that chapter. We jump to the next chapter, and both men are fully in jail and arrested. Um, uh, but they are freed on bail by Charity Carpenter and Susan Rodriguez. Um, I don't know why I did that. That is uh, <laughs> my impression uh, accent from the country foreign. Uh, <laughs> um, apologies. Uh, Charity shouts at Justin. Uh, Harry tells Susan that he loves her. Uh, Harry and Susan arrive at the apartment to be greeted by two vampires wearing full tennis outfits. They're on their way to the to the court and they're just stopping by for a quick uh, message and maybe a bite to eat. Um, Harry and the vampires slag each other off until one of them gives Harry an invite to a party in three days at midnight at Bianca's big mansion uh, outside of Chicago. As she is rising to the rank of Magravain within the Red Court, the vamps leave and Susan pesters Harry to go with him to the ball. Harry reveals that he doesn't plan to go. Harry and Susan make up, both emotionally and physically, and fall asleep in each other's arms. And that is where we get to this week's chapters. Rob, do you want to take it away? Yeah, so we kick off with chapter nine, picking up where we left off. Kind of. Um, the chapter begins with. Harry having a dream about uh, his godmother, Le- Leanne, torturing him. Um, he wakes up to a knock at the door. Uh, there was a comment here that I really liked where um, it references Full Moon, where he mentions that, uh, I can't remember what caliber gun it was, but he, he mentions, oh yeah, like my my gun was lost in um, a little scuffle with uh, lycanthropes last summer, or whenever it was. Uh, I recently bought a new one. Clearly, I was compensating for something. Um, yeah, that's a nice little quote. It's a nice little reference to the previous book as well. But, yeah. Um, so he goes to the door and, you know, it has another little piece of advice, which is don't point your gun unless you're intending to shoot. So it's implied that he's just holding it in case it's a, you know, a threat. The vampires came back or whatever. But it's revealed to be lovely little Michael. Um, he brings up the the business of Father Forthill uh, taking in Lydia and something trying to get into the church to get to her. So both men, yeah, they bugger off to Father Forthill's. Um, it's revealed that Lydia snuck out of the church as well, so we currently have no idea where of on her whereabouts. Um, Harry and Michael make a plan to track her down and find out what's going on with the spirits in Chicago, why they're all a bit getting up in arms, why they're unrestful and all that kind of stuff. Um, Chapter 10, we're introduced to another key player within the series who I think he only has a few appearances in the early books, but he plays a a very large role later down the line in Ghost Story, I think. And that is the character of Mortimer Lindquist, who is a ex-ectomancer who is now running like as a fake psychic um but my my impression here is and i'm not sure if i'm confusing it with him later in the books is that he's pretending to be a fake psychic is that correct yeah so my understanding is is that at this point he's um he's pretty much lost his abilities yeah um so he very occasionally makes connections with the other side uh and in between just pretend like basically holds like fake seances yeah well you know everyone needs to make an income yeah um where was i with that so yeah he's a practicing fake psychic who is planning to leave town he's under he's aware of all the uh ghosts and stuff and spirits that are unsettled and he's under the belief that something very big is coming um, Harry interrogates him and finds out there is a barrier between the Never Never and the mortal realm and it is weakening um, Mort leaves but before before leaving he gives Harry like his notes um, we roll on into chapter 11, Harry returns to his apartment and is met by two of Murphy's cops 
you'll remember Rudolph from the previous book, who is a bit of a, I think at the time he was a rookie cop, um, in charge of kind of guarding Dresden, but when the Luke Guru attacked, uh, he, Harry just kind of calmed him down and was like, wait here, and then frigged off while he was in custody. And mm -hmm. the other cop is Stallings, who I remember the name, but I don't remember the character at the moment, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, I the remember group, him later in the series, but not earlier. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, but in any case, the group then head over to another house of one of Murphy's cops, Malone. Um, and it's quite... It, it, we're getting to one of my favourite scenes in the books, which unfortunately I think happens in the next episode. But um, they arrive there and what they find is a bunch of dead animals. And these animals are littered across the guy's garden, which if that's a bad omen, you're not going to have a good time because... You know, when, when is dead animals littered across your garden anything good, you know? Um, <laughs> and we roll into chapter 12, where Dresden... And this is quite a cool reference as well. Dresden's like, I need to be asked to um, enter the home. And it, it's... I don't know... I think it's briefly kind of explained here, but I can't remember very well if it's explained in previous books. The whole concept of uh, thresholds and all that kind of stuff. If you're Dresden fans and you've got to this point, or you've read all the books anyway, I don't need to explain this, so I'm not going to bother. Um, yeah, um, Dresden, you know, they, he gets the invite into the, into the house and they find Malone chained to a bed and Murphy trying to help him. Murphy is kind of, she looks exhausted, she's run down and she's led to believe that, you know, Malone is, is uh, possessed, kind of, you know, exorcist style, kind of looking a bit pasty and shit. Um, and the chapter ends here with Dresden asking to be left alone with Malone. That rhymes. And that is where we wrap up the chapters for this week. So, um, yeah, what, what did you think? Man, so... <laughs> This is, uh, it's a bit of like connecting tissue, really, between some big set pieces. Yeah. Uh, so, in some ways, there's there's not a lot of action to talk about, but there are a lot of characters being introduced here that are going to be <clears throat> so big uh, going forwards, mm. namely Father Forthill and Mortimer Lindquist. Um, and there's just some great little moments here. Um, so Father Forthill uh, is um, a priest that is like, he's not a fighter, um, not even close, really. He's, a, he's an aging man um, who does his, uh, like, is very aware of the, the supernatural threats out there yeah. and his best to help people in more passive means. Um, Father Forthill is never going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any um, big nasty from uh, the Never Nether or from Hell or wherever. Um, he's just not got it in him. Uh, and he's really aware of that, and that's something that I love about the character. Um, yeah. Is that he's, he's not Michael. He doesn't have a big sword or anything like that. He just does his best and he explains like here how he looks after Lydia while there's something is attacking the outside of the church. Like he reads scripture, which he knows harms them. Um, how he like comforts Lydia, how he makes, he, like makes soup for her and stuff to try and build her strength up and things. Um, like he's, he does the very best that he can within the limits of a, an older man. Uh, just a, a mortal without any sort of abilities, uh, which I think makes him really cool. Uh, the other thing I love about Father Forthill's introduction um, is uh, him and Dresden talk about how Dresden asked him to bless a oil drum filled with water to make it holy water. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> which Michael is a bit like, Harry, that's not playing by the rules. <laughs> Uh, and Harry's like, it works though, Michael. And that's what's important. Um, so I, I enjoyed that. Uh, and then Mortimer Lindquist 
oh my god, uh, what a cool character. What I love uh, about both Fort Hill and, and uh, Lindquist is that they are uh, lower power level characters, but in each case they have like a few really good talents. Like Father Fort Hill is very resourceful and he's very well connected in the church and that's kind of what he falls back on. Uh, Mortimer is uh, it was at one time a very powerful ectomancer who is able to manipulate ghosts and talk to them and we learn a lot more about ectomancy as we go along in the series uh, but is now almost useless uh, he can connect to a couple of contacts on the other side um, but he, he really stays out of the way of like the big powers um, and he's talked about as being a, a, a big guy uh, he's, he's a fat guy to be honest, uh, and I say that as a big guy myself, um, and so he's never going to be running around and doing all the action stuff that Harry and Michael are doing. He's just there to. He's an information thing uh, mm. dump, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, and and I like seeing cowardice as well. Like, yeah, I, I don't know who he reminds me of. Um, just trying to think. Have you ever seen the TV show Recess, like when you were a kid? Yeah. Do you know the? You probably know where I'm going with this. You know the kid Randall, the snitch. <laughs> you, I, I get a bit of that kind of vibe. Not, not in the sense of like he's he's like going to betray Dresden, but just in that kind of. Oh, you know, he's like he's just like. Uh, he, he wants kind of the acceptance, I guess, but at the same time, he's just like that level of a bit useless like trying to get yeah. out like he, he knows he can help but at the same time he's like I, I can help but if it puts any risk to me I'd rather not hence why he's leaving town yeah he's just he's just a bit weaselly really. yeah weaselly that's what I was trying to go with <laughs> um, my personal vision of what the guy looks like is uh, Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man because um, I, I, I was going to talk and we'll still talk in a minute about who we'd cast as who um, but that was going to be my opening gambit yeah fair, fair enough <laughs> um, yeah so I, I Two really, really important characters, and and I think their introductions really suit them both really well. Um, you immediately see that Mort survives by being a coward, not by being a, a great fighter, and you see Father Fort Hill's connections to the church, um, and I think it's just like uh, you've seen more more aspects to the magical community of Chicago than we've seen in the last two books. Yeah, these are these are obvious like pillars of the magical community, um, as much as Murphy is a pillar of the mortal community. Um, so it's it's really cool to, to get that greater picture of what's going on. Um, and yeah, uh, the the stuff chapters eleven and twelve um, just take us in really nicely to this. Uh, kind of classic uh the exorcist uh or like paranormal activity kind of feel yeah um it's i mean we've kind of said this from the start this is one of the this is a lot more horrifying as a book than the last two um i mean i I recently watched the exorcist director's cut as well so it's it's fresh in my mind and I think I'm enjoying this scene, these scenes a lot more because of it. Yeah. As weird as it sounds. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Um, but the, the, so the dead animals thing, like the description of it really got into my head. Yeah. Uh, just because you don't really hear animals. You don't hear, an, you, you, you're like, oh, there, were, there was a dead rat or yeah. something like that. But it's very rare that you hear like a description of like how they died, like you would if a human was killed. Mm. Uh, whereas here, you you get like an in depth description of like 
and I'm not going to go too graphic, don't worry, but um, uh, uh, of just like the method in, in which each of these animals died, and it's uh, it is pretty bloody. Um, if if you're not a big fan of it, maybe just skip the end of chapter eleven. Uh, you're not missing much, just a lot of dead animals. Uh, and then the description of Malone. Oh my god, that was. <laughs> Um, it made me think of like Joker gas. Yeah, I get that. I mean, like I said, I was mainly because of watching The Exorcist recently. I was, my mind instantly jumped to that and the fact Murphy like, oh, is it like in the possession, like in the films? And I'm just imagining him like, <laughs> shouting obscenities like "Your mother sucks cocks in hell" or whatever yeah. else the demon screams in the film. But um. In terms of appearance, it, re- it really reminded me of that as well. I'm just seeing there's, there's got to be a list somewhere of exorcist demon quotes. <laughs> um, the first one was, yep, your mother sucks cocks in hell. Yep, uh, my favourite one. <laughs> what an excellent day for an exorcism. <laughs> I kind of love that. Um <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, the the father saying, "I cast you out, unclean spirit," and the demon just saying, "Shove it up your ass." <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Have you ever seen The Exorcist? I haven't. Oh mate, I I can't remember if it's on Amazon Prime, but if not, we'll we'll watch it in the middle of the day when it's nice and sunny at some point. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh. <laughs> How long are you going to stay in Reagan, um, the demon, until she rots in Earth? <laughs> yes. Love it. Uh, there's some great stuff there. Um, definitely worth... Uh, I, like, I get the, the the cultural touchstone of the exorcism, of the exorcist, but uh, yeah, I probably should watch it. I, all I know is the scene of her like walking down the stairs like upside down. Oh yeah, the crab walk thing. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's um, it still holds up today. I'd say I think the whole thing of it being the scariest film made. Yeah, I think it depends. I think I would have found it a lot more terrifying if I was like quite heavily into Christianity or something like that. Yeah. I think if you have yeah. strong beliefs, it's going to fucking ruin your life, but... Yeah. <laughs> Was the, the girl that they got, like, an acrobat or something to be able to do those, like... Um, I think the the stunt double they had for that scene was a contortionist, I think. That makes I'm sense. Sure, I'm sure I read something like that. And they just slapped, like, a weird possessed mask on her, and, yeah, away yeah. she goes. Pretty much. Makes sense. Um, so we've got a couple of bits to talk about. Um, was there anything that you wanted to pull out before we start? Um, not really. I think we've covered a lot of the bits that I wanted to kind of go over. Um, I was going to add a comment about Father Forthill in that he, he's a recurring character anyway throughout the series, and I know like. For a for a guy who like you say he doesn't he's not like the action hero type like Harry and Michael he's very stoic I guess and I, and that's what I really like about him I I think there's there's several novels where he appears and the Knights of the Cross don't Harry kind of goes to him as a and it kind kind of to like in the same way his amulet protected him from like temptation before I guess that's kind of Father Forkhill's role sort of. But um, mm-hmm. there there are scenes where just like all all hell is breaking loose, everyone's dead, all this kind of stuff, and Harry will just go to Fort Hill and be like, I, I don't know what to do. Like everyone's dead, I'm missing a leg. Uh, this is you know my sandwich tastes like shit and all that kind of stuff. And Fort Hill will always just he's never like, oh my god, you're missing a leg. He's very just like calm about it and will always give like some advice i mean i guess it will always boil down to like you know god has a plan kind of thing 
similar to Michael yeah. in that respect. But I, I always find him. I know I always find it useful at the same time. It, it may be something that Harry like goes away from their meeting being like, you know, that was a load of gibberish. But then like later on towards the end of the climax, he'll he'll be like, oh, that's what that's what I was told. And that, I just love that about Father Forhill. I think he's, I want to say a really underappreciated character, but I don't know. <laughs> I can't like say if he's underappreciated or not because I, well, you know, it's just my opinion. <laughs> I think uh, Jim Butch does a really good job of writing holy men. Agreed. Um, in a way that doesn't feel... They don't feel like they're looking down at anyone. They feel yeah. very grounded, um, which can be really hard because with piety kind of comes judgment, and with judgment comes mm, judgment leads to <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, piety leads to judgment. Judgment leads to annoying. Annoying leads to atheism. Mm. Uh, no, uh, but that that's kind of um, the feeling. Uh, that's kind of what Jim avoids, which is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a couple of points that we want to talk about. Harry's nightmare right at the beginning of this, um, where he is chained up in thorn manacles, which is something that we get later in the series. But um, yeah. this, I think, the first appearance of them, which are essentially manacles that uh, pierce into a wizard's wrists, um, and they, they basically the thorns get longer the more magic that the wizard tries to pull towards them. We might even get them in this book, actually, towards um, the third act. I might be yeah. wrong. I'm, I'm sure they it's either this book or the next book they appear properly. Fair enough. Um, they're definitely like uh, they're a way for generally magical people, although later in the series some non-magical people also get hold of them, to uh, neutralise wizards. Um, and they are they're described as being extremely painful whenever they come up. Um, the rest of this scene seems very strange. Um, and I didn't, I didn't remember this at all. Um, but it basically talks about how uh, she's like basically kissing him, like making out with him, mm. while he's in these manacles, and the blood, the thorns are causing blood from his arms to drop into earthen bowls, uh, and he's extremely scared by the sounds of it um and then he shouts out for justin who is justin demorn his old teacher yeah um and then he wakes up Whee. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um which I found, I wasn't really sure what the point of this scene was, unless it was just like he was having this dream because it was kind of like a threat. Yeah. From, from Leah. I mean, that's how I took it. But I, I remember this book. It has a lot of kind of dreamy shit like that, but it's always related to the um, to a different subplot within the book. So. I know. I, I mean, that's what I expected it to go into, but it stayed with the uh, Leanchi stuff. So I'm not. I don't remember this chapter either. So I was a bit surprised <laughs> by it. I suppose. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it, it compared to I think the the weird ass dream sequence in the previous book where he talks to his subconscious. It's. Uh, I prefer it over that. It doesn't feel as out of place. I guess. We also get um, one of our our first introductions of Jim Butcher's love of Coke. Yep. Um, and by Coke we mean Coca Cola, not uh, hard narcotics. Um, <laughs> but the the first thing that Dresden needs when he wakes up 
is uh, is a coke, uh, and he talks about like getting it out of the ice box, his fingers working to open it, um, and then uh, he drinks it and and how how it makes him feel better, essentially, um, <laughs> uh, and and we we have kind of alluded to this before. I, I'm not even sure. I think we might have talked about this in past episodes, but Jim Butcher has a fetish for Coca-Cola. It, it's a weird one because I'm pretty sure the only reason I drink Coke still is because of Dresden Files. And like you, you, like, like, like you just said, and he, he, he opens the can of Coke, drinks it, and he's like, ah, oh, j- just what I needed. I feel refreshed and powerful. I got and, yeah, like it's like Popeye with spinach, and yeah, like in my head it's like regular Coke. So I get a regular Coke based on that, and I I opened it up, I drank it, and then I'm like, oh, I just feel really bloated. <laughs> like, <laughs> like for for about an hour I feel bloated, and then I'm like, okay, maybe maybe I can find the energy to stand up, but I'm not gonna do much. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if you get the same from drinking coke, but um, yeah, like coke itself, I find really, really sugary. Um, yeah. I'm a I'm a Pepsi Max cherry sort of guy. So fair enough. Um, I mean, it, it's rare we have regular coke here anyway. I mean, Kerry is like always buy. I'm, I say always. She doesn't drink it as much now, but she used to drink a lot of diet coke. Uh, and that that's most yeah. that mostly comes with her being diabetic. She can't drink the normal Coke, and she finds it disgusting anyway. Whereas Diet Coke, for some reason, she enjoys. We don't know why. But I mean, <laughs> my my preference is probably vanilla Coke, and I think that's more for nostalgia. And I've kind of lost my train of thought on why I'm even saying this. So I apologise for interrupting. I uh, I'm, I will say, although a lot of a lot of drinks benefit from this. A an ice cold coke on a hot day, yeah. There is something about that that just hits the spot beautifully. I find do you do you find like Coke or Pepsi to taste nicer when you go to a pub? Yeah, like yeah. it just like if it's from a glass bottle or from tap, I swear to Christ, it is just nicer. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Good thing Definitely. pubs are open. Um, uh, so with Fort Hill um, we we kind of talked about his introduction and stuff there's uh, some great stuff about like uh, how Harry feels entering like a church and stuff and uh, Michael kind of laughs at him a bit about it Mm. because Harry's a bit unsettled about the church he says that he doesn't like he's he's not really one way or another when it comes to religion um but he feels like the church uh is just not somewhere that he's ever he's ever really felt welcomed yeah um and and part of this he puts down to that the church has killed a lot of wizards believing them to be in league with uh, with satan 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 uh, <laughs> mr satan <laughs> Um, so, like, he's like, oh, this does not feel like the best place for a wizard to be, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Fort Hill, we've kind of talked about why we like him and stuff. Um, one thing I did like as well is that he was aware that Cassandra's tears was often used as, like, an excuse in the magical community, so he's obviously got some, some know-how. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing, he's... He he's always clued up to a certain degree as well. He's like um, I had another really good comparison earlier, but I've forgotten it already. So, ah, uh, no, it's it's gone. But fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think of a character that is clued up, and I don't know why my <laughs> my mind just went to Danger Mouse. That is, um, yeah. I mean, fair enough, I suppose. He's, but... no, he's a real, he's a real danger mouse. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. 
so Fort Hill is a real danger mouse, but who would we have play him? That's if we were question. casting the Joseph Files film. I mean, do you, do you have any ideas off the top of your head? Uh, Pete Postlethwaite. That That's a really good choice. I mean, he's he's my go-to actor for a lot of things. Uh, just checking, I've got the right guy. Yeah, yeah. He is. I mean, he basically played uh, played the part in Romeo and Juliet when he was Friar Lawrence. It's been a while since I've done. Shakespeare. Probably. I know he was in the Baz Luhrmann one, so yes is yeah. the answer. Whether that's his name is in the film then, I don't know. Yes, Friar Lawrence. Whew. That GCSE English is paying off. Yeah, it's paying off even after however long you've left school. <laughs> Ten years? I don't know. Yeah. Um, Ish. He's been, he has been in a lot of things. Uh, he was in The Omen as, as a uh, a priest once again. Uh, unfortunately, he hasn't made a film appearance since 2011. I think he's dead. That might be why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it was. I want. I want to say lung cancer as well. I. I'm not sure, but I know. I know he passed I, away. Ages I was about ago. to be like, oh, he might just be taking like a break from acting or something, and then I literally got to the point where it was like. No, he passed away. Yeah. Which is a friggin' shame, because he's one of those guys where, like, every film I see where he pops up in, I know that I'm going to enjoy him. Yeah. And there's there's a few actors like that, and I think one of them, who was also going to be one of my choices for uh, either Nicodemus or Father Fort Hill, depending on how I'm feeling, is um, Ian McShane. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, um, I in in some ways I I come down more on the Nicodemus side, but yeah, um, I can see either. Um, I mean, again, he's he's one of those guys that I would like in a fairly small role, like Father Fort Hill. So even though he'd be perfect as Nicodemus as well, I'd rather I'd rather just see him in something where he's just not shouting or trying to kill someone for a change. Yeah. I can get behind that. I, I also throw in um, either of Ian McKellen or Patrick Stewart would do a fine job. Yeah. Here, if there was somewhere for either of them to be in the Dresden universe, I feel like it would be here. Yeah, I can go with that. Um, just as yeah, um, I love both Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. I just feel like they come as a pair. Really. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I think other alternatives I'd go for would probably be um, someone like Jeremy Irons, maybe. That nice, gravelly, but at the same time, silky voice. Okay, I can see that. What about Michael Gambon? Hmm. Too old? No, he's, I mean, he'd probably be good for it, but I don't really... I mean, this is just my personal preference. I, I dislike Michael Gambon. I, I don't know why. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I just thought of a, of a. I just saw another one that I thought was crazy. Maybe not as Father Foothill, although he'd be a very interesting Nicodemus. Christopher Walken. That would be. Uh, that would be something to see. <laughs> Christopher Walken's Nicodemus. That's that's a film I'd watch. <laughs> I think another. Hey. I think another Father Fort Hill person I'd consider would be like Nathan Lane. Okay, yeah, I can see that. But then at the same time, I'd be waiting for him to shout something really funny in his Nathan Lane style. Oh, man. Do you know who I... I, I'm trying to to think who who I'd want him to be. Do you know who'd be a good Morgan... Who? Ralph Fiennes. I can get behind that. I would enjoy a Ralph Fiennes Morgan. Give him the big sword. (laughs) 
kind of his like uh, his James Bond persona. Yeah. Um, I would really enjoy that. Um, anyway, we've gone down a down a rabbit hole here. Uh, so yeah. to quickly pull us back out, uh, <laughs> moving on to Mortimer Lindquist. Uh, so we talked a little bit about him and why we love him and all that sort of thing. Um, one of the other things that I really liked about Mortimer's uh, like introduction was the way that Harry treats him. Yeah. Um, I get the feeling a little bit that Harry treats him as like more could more is a wizard of sorts and could be as valuable to the world as Harry is yeah. if he got if he got in gear. And less of a weasel. Yeah. And and there's just a bit of something Harry does not like him. And it comes across in his dialogue really well. Yeah. Uh it's almost like just grow a spine and be be like me and Mort's just like, I'm never gonna be like you. That's not who I am at heart. Yeah. Um and that's really cool and, and it's something a lot of their interactions are like that, um, and, and I kind of love that. Um, again, if we were casting for the Dresden Files film, who would you want for Mort? Well, I was just about to send you my, my latest idea for Father Fort Hill and for Mort as well on uh, Messenger, just so I wouldn't forget. But you've asked me at the right time. So uh, for um, Father Fort Hill, and this is my final casting. It would be either Christopher Eccleston because he's Jesus, or Peter Capaldi because I like Peter Capaldi. And for okay. Mortimer, I would go with probably someone like Matt Lucas. Yeah, Matt Lucas was was one I was kind of I could see that. And maybe if not Matt Lucas, then probably Bill Bailey. Bill Bailey would make a very good Mortimer Linquis. Agreed. I can see that. Um, I've got I've got a few. Yeah, let's hear them. Um, so my first my first one. My only worry with a lot of these is that they're too funny. Because <laughs> um, a lot of big guys tend to play comedic roles. Yeah. Um, but my first one was Billy Crystal. Yeah, that, I mean, that'd be really good. And he's really got the look. Yeah. But just he's just a bit too funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think people will be expecting him to be funny. Yeah. So uh, I'm not so sure on that. Um, my other one, which I, I don't know if he has the acting chops for it, but maybe, uh, was John Favreau, like, aged up a bit. Yeah, I can see that. Like he's a big guy. He's, um, I, like, I don't know. I I would be really interested to see John Favreau playing like coward. Yeah, Tate um, would be a good fit. Um, sorry, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith would be a good fit. Oh yeah, I'd enjoy that. Yeah, I don't know if he does much acting anymore outside of uh, Silent Bob though. But. Yeah. Yeah, fair yeah. enough, I guess. It, yeah. you, if you're Kevin Smith, you don't need to really, do you? True. <laughs> um. Yeah. I, I. I think there's there's plenty of uh good character, good people that could make with good like cameos, and then maybe come back a few years later and do uh, a longer role in in a later in the later books. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it'd be interesting. You'd probably want to get someone who was like middle aged ish so that they weren't too old by towards the end of the series. Yeah, I, I mean I mean it doesn't really match the um the uh description of Mortimer, but Simon Pegg I think would be a really good shout as well. Or Nick Frost. Yeah. Um I, I just get that like yeah. Heavy set kind of feel, but yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. There, there is plenty. Yeah, there's anyway. so many. Um, 
so that's a couple of our ideas. But we both Fort Hill and Mortimer. Please, please comment, get in contact, whatever, with your your thoughts. We'd love to hear them uh, of who you'd like to play them. Um, so, just as we're rounding things off, um, we've got Murphy and and SI get a lot of. Um, I guess reintroduction here. We haven't really seen them yet in the story. Yeah, I was going to say it's Mur- It's definitely Murphy's first appearance in the book. Yeah, and I really like how they're depicted here. Like, I feel like SI are like a, a little family of them of their own. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, uh, the funny thing about SI is the the one who's normally like, um. Murphy's like second in command kind of person. In my head, it's always like their attitude and stuff is just Harvey Bullock from um like <laughs> the police department in Batman. Yeah, like that kind of like, especially with how they normally treat Dresden with like who who hey hey who's who's the freak <laughs> kind of thing. Whether we don't we don't need you around here. If in fact if. If you weren't needed at all by Murphy, I'd arrest you myself. <laughs> I do love that that archetype, I guess, of of Gordon and, and Bullock. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I just really like how how Murphy's depicted as like the mum almost of all <laughs> these guys. Um, and she's very much like one of my own got taken out. I uh do something Dresden like you've got to help them mm. kind of thing um which I really I, I really enjoy that um and uh she it just for later books particularly um again I know we we keep saying this and uh it it will be something that we'll touch upon and touch upon and touch upon but there, there's some really really important i guess relationships being built up here of like si is its own kind of unit they are now all aware of the paranormal world uh Ooh. and they're starting to learn how to combat it and stuff um which is really cool um yeah i think that pretty much covers everything uh we, we've talked about malone uh and, and kind of his description he's there like chained to the bed smiling and and being violent and nasty and stuff and um we hear that like his wife was chased out of uh, chased into like a cupboard until si got there um i i think the the description of like dresden explaining about thresholds and stuff like i say we have talked about it before i'm pretty sure if we haven't it comes up a lot in the series so i'm sure we'll touch upon it again but the the cut and dry basics of it are basically if Dresden has to force his way through a threshold, that takes up like 90% of his magic, so he's only got like 10% to work with, whereas mm. if the doors are open to him, he's got 100% to work with um, within a, within an area, uh, and that's why, it's also why vampires need to be asked to let it, to be let in uh, and stuff like that, uh, and he also explains that there are lots of places without thresholds, or thresholds that have been weakened by lots of uh, strangers coming through uh, coming and going, um, which is why in some of the, the past places where Dresden has gone in where you would imagine there would be a threshold, the threshold has been weakened by lots of people going through it and, and stuff. Yeah. Um, a bit of a hand-wavy explanation, but gives you everything you need to know. And yeah, I think that's about it. Is there anything else from you? Um, uh, No, I mean, I think we've hit all the major points that I wanted to bring up, at least. So... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in which case, do you want to take us out? Yeah. Um, As always, thank you so much for your support. We are just about to cross over 1,900 downloads, which I know we always say we we didn't expect that to happen at all. We thought it'd be less than half of that. So thank you. Um, As always, share, follow, subscribe. Uh, review if you can or where necessary. Uh, we're available on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere else you can think of. Podbean, uh, podcaster, uh, you name it, we're on there. If we're not, let us know, and we'll we'll get on there. Um, 
And yeah, next week we'll be covering chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 of Grave Peril. Um, until then, though, crack open a can of Coke. You've been listening to the Paranet Podcast with myself, Rob Davis, and me, Patrick Learn. And we shall see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.